0: I don't know how many of you were here this morning to hear me talk about taking my kids skiing. My son Sam wants to make a correction. Where's Sam? He said I neglected to, to mention a very important fact. And I made a lot of this morning of getting the kids ready to ski, which is really hard thing. And he said, well, you left out the fact that we help you get ready. We help clothe you in the morning, which is true. I cannot put on my boots anymore. must have happened my 43rd birthday a couple years ago or something. But just bending over, can't put on my own ski boots. Anyway, now you know. So uh, one announcement uh, I'd like to make, uh, Saturday, February 7th, in the evening, Cambridge Port Baptist Church, anyone interested in ministry, uh, please come out to join the ministry team uh, at a potluck dinner. Actually, uh, really anyone is welcome to this, and uh, it's always a fabulous time. Uh, if you're interested, uh, mark that on your calendar. Okay, we're in the book of Job. We're going to be in chapter 9 of the book of Job going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse on Sunday night. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your word this evening, Lord, and uh, I just think of, Lord, of of your mercy and your wisdom, Lord, as I, I think of Job and... And the work that you accomplished in his heart through this, uh, these terrible circumstances that, uh, that Father, you allowed, you even purposed in, in, in your heart for them to happen. and And Lord, even as there are things in our life that we don't completely understand, Lord, we seek after you, Lord. Just as the song just said, for, for to be held in your arms, Lord, and uh, knowing that you'll never let us go, Lord, and just the comfort of, of your love, Father. That's what we need, that's what we want, Lord that's what we live for. I pray Father, that you'd guide us through this study this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So job, opening pages of this chapter. We're given a picture of a man who was surrounded by all the things that are going to make the world agreeable to him or give him just tremendous stature in the world. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had this incredible... Uh, riches, seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and so forth. He had a life with God. It says that in verse seven, it says that. Um, verse eight, actually, it says there was. There's none like him on the earth. He's a righteous man, a blameless man, one who feared God and shunned evil, the one who cared for people. But with with all his um, with all his possessions and with all the blessing of life, and I, again, uh, the world looks on a person like that, and. They just rever him or her. And Satan approaches the Lord and and he says, well, the only reason, God, that this guy follows you is because you have blessed him uh, so abundantly and that you put a hedge around him that you put a hedge around him, basically preventing me from getting into his life and destroying it at least enough for him to curse you. It's the only reason he follows you. And I don't think we talked about this earlier, by the way, but it's so oftentimes when I hear uh, prayer someone i i hear the prayer well put a hedge around him and yet i you, well you'll rarely if ever hear me praying that so if you want someone to pray that for you you better go to someone else not to me it, it's not really a prayer that you really see in the bible oh god put your hedge around that person typically the prayer that um that we need to make for people is not that God put a hedge around them. When when Jesus said the Apostle Peter, He said Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Jesus didn't say, "So, so I'll put a hedge around you." That's not what Jesus said. He said, "I will," you know, "I will pray for you that your faith would be strengthened." That is the prayer oh, we should be praying for people. But it is a fact. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for. A, a hedge a hedge around uh uh someone uh, I'm not sure it's profitable, but <laughs> uh it's it's certainly not wrong. It is true though that God does have a hedge around every single one of us. We'll get to this a little later. The Bible says first corinthians ten thirteen he will not put us through a trial more than what we can withstand and in order for that to happen, he's got to put a hedge around us or else we'll just be creamed uh, by the enemy. And so uh, Satan's like, well, you've put a hedge around him, but uh, you let me uh, stretch out my hand against all his possessions and then later on his his health and he'll curse you. Well, um, that was done. God allowed it, uh, Satan, to uh, have sort of free reign. He says, you stretch out your hand, uh, against them, only don't kill them, is what um, is what uh, the Lord said to Satan, and so Job, uh, when we we pick up in chapter nine, he has not only had to suffer through just unbelievable heartache; he's lost all his possessions, his servants his health, his family. Everyone except his wife, who uh, he probably wishes he, he lost her. She came up to him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? She was sort of that kind of uh, of wife. Uh, so um, he's, he's in the midst of this, but it, as if that were not bad enough, he has... Three counselors show up, uh, and they are basically um, rubbing his nose in the dirt. Three people who were counsel, who were actually friends of his, and they are trying to convince him that it's something about him—some hidden sin, some uh, some—he he hasn't tried enough. Uh, to do, uh, to be good. And, and and this is always how Satan runs people into the ground. You haven't been good enough. You have this sin in your past and and just grinding our face to the ground. That's why grace is so important. The blood of Jesus is walking in the knowledge that Jesus' blood uh, it covers all our sins and we can't improve on that now the, this is a very long book and, and wow you go through it and it's like wow this is really long and they seem to be saying the same thing over and over again and y- y- you do ask yourself uh, why does God not break in what is the reason this is a question I get all the time why is God allowing these things in my life Why is he silent? Psalm 10 says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Psalm 109. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise. This is uh, all Psalms of David. He was a man after God's own heart. He was just such an incredibly wonderful example of a man of God and yet he's crying out, why are you allowing this, God? Why are you so silent? Well, God is teaching Job something. He is teaching him to walk by faith and you know, if if I see what is coming down in my life, it does not require faith on my part. Faith says, I do not understand completely, I don't see completely, but I'm going to trust God. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is an expression of love on our part. Don't you want to bless the Lord? Well, you can bless them with your faith. It's, it's an expression of, of on your part, God, I don't understand this, but I will believe your word. I will believe you will get me through this. James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, And then let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. I remember looking at that verse early on in my Christian walk. Oh, how I want that to describe my walk. Don't you want that to describe your walk? Lacking nothing. An observation that someone makes of your walk. Wow, that, that guy, that that woman, they really, they lack nothing in their walk. Of course, we know that we'll, we'll be lacking something until the, until the Lord takes us home. But um, it is true, though, because the word of God says something. We can get to the point where that is a description of our walk. That we lack nothing in our walk. Don't you want to get there? I do. I want to get there. What a place to arrive at. So in chapter 9, we find Job spiritually. He's in the deep fog. He's in the dark. He's confused. His faith is being stretched well beyond that which he ever knew was capable. And it's, it, it is so important that we do understand that a backdrop uh, to the really the entire uh, book uh, of Job, we should always keep in mind First Corinthians uh, ten thirteen. Of course, hadn't been written at the time of Job, but as we read it, we have the advantage uh, of knowing uh, chapter ten verse thirteen of First Corinthians that no test, no temptation, no trial has overtaken you, 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 and you except such as is common to man. So you're, you're not in it alone and you're not having to go through this alone. It's a common thing. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able, but with the testing will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And of course in it, uh, your faith is built up and you're blessing God and you're being used by him. But he's not going to test you unless he first prepares you for that test. And uh, there are things uh, uh, that the Lord puts me through today, testings, that uh, which I could never have dreamed of surviving 10 years ago or even 5 years ago. God will not put you through something unless He first prepares you for it and without first giving you the grace to survive it. Genesis chapter twenty two. Uh you don't have to turn there, but it's the, it's the chapter of Abraham being told to sacrifice his son. So very important, this incredible test that he was in, that you that you that that we read and focus in on the very first verse Um, of that chapter chapter 22 it says now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham it says after these things he didn't put him through the test before those things he put him through the test after these things why those things were used to prepare Abraham for this test this one test that was the biggest test of his entire life being asked to sacrifice his uh, his son now what things what do you mean after these things? Well, he had been asked to leave his family, leave his place of comfort, leave the place of security that 's a tremendous test for anyone many of you arrive here today at church after having sometime in the last uh, one year, five years or, or fifty fifteen years, leaving a place that you were really comfortable with, really, really, a secure place, and coming to a place uh, which was you know you didn 't know anyone, it was new and uh, and God, in doing that is preparing you he 's preparing you Abraham was also um, his wife was barren for Literally decades, that's a test, a test of his faith. He had to send his son, Ishmael, into the wilderness. And and, and he wept and he said, Lord, why do you have to do this? God was preparing him for the master test. The Lord wants to make you, man, woman, safe for him to bless and use. But he's—you're not going to be safe to bless and use until he has first prepared you. Until he has first prepared you. And so, Job had been prepared for this unbelievable test uh, that he is in—losing uh, his possession, his family, and health. How anyone could be prepared for that, I don't know, but. We know a promise of God that God will not let us go through any test until he first prepares us and gives us the grace to go through it. So we may be in in, in a trial, you may be in one today where you don't understand why you're in it, but you can understand what the word says about it, that you've been prepared for it, and he'll give you the grace to get through it. So right before chapter 9, you have... Uh, Bildad the Shuhite coming and he's the second counselor who shows up on the scene and basically what he says is how dare you, Job, challenge the justice of God because Job has was saying God how can you be doing this I have lived a good life and now I'm suffering doesn't justice warrant me treating being treated better than this and so this guy is getting up in his face and uh, rebuking him how dare you challenge the justice of God we've talked a lot about in the last few weeks about the importance of when someone is in, in an incredible amount of pain we need to love them we don't have to respond to every single foolish thing they say if they're saying some foolish thing if they're in a tremendous amount of pain uh, we don't necessarily, our, our, our biggest responsibility is to love and listen. It's not to respond to uh, everything they uh, say. He says in verse 3, this is Bildad the Shuhite. Does, jo- does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? verse 6 if you were pure and upright surely now he would await uh, for you in other words again same theme he, there's a hidden sin in your life and so uh, this is uh, going on and on and so in chapter 9 Job is answering this guy Bildad and he said then Job answered and said verse 1 actually verse 2 truly I know it is so but how can a man be righteous before God in other words words, um, Job is saying look I'm not arguing that God is just I'm not arguing that at all I know that that is so but verse 2 how can a man uh, be righteous before uh, God if one wished to contend with him he could not answer him one time out of a thousand in other words what he's saying is based upon what you're saying Bildad the Shuhite um, everyone in the world should be suffering just like me because no one in the world is righteous before God. And then he goes on to say, if one, again, if one could contend uh, with him, uh, he could not answer him one time in a 1,000, verse 4, uh, God is wise in, in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? In other words, uh, who has hardened himself against him and prospered that's referring to a person who is basically fighting god and i see this all the time people fighting god god is trying to get their attention they refuse to let him get their attention and they're just fighting him they've hardened their heart against him and and you know it's the most useless thing fighting the lord people do it all the time though verse 4 Verse 5 rather, he removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place. Its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion and the Pleiades uh, in the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. And so basically, what he is saying here is you know, the Lord uh, is great beyond anyone uh, finding out. He does things uh, we will never understand. How can I be perfectly righteous? Uh, before a God like that. And verse 11, if he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. The Bible does say that no one has ever seen God, speaking of God the Father, who is spirit. He is invisible. It's the point he's making. You know, how am I supposed to make my case with uh, someone I can't see? Verse 12, if he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Verse 13, God will not withdraw his angers. The allies of the proud lie prosper, prostrate beneath him. Meaning that, you know, the proud and rebellious wind, wind up always losing when they come up against God. He continues in verse 14, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. So in verse 16, he said, if I ever... God is so unknowable. Uh, remember, he doesn't know Christ here. doesn't have the Holy Spirit residing in him. Uh, to a certain extent, this, the Job is a picture of someone who has not been redeemed in Christ. Uh, He's not been born again by the Spirit of God, I should say, rather. And he says in verse 16, If I called and prayed to God and he answered me, I wouldn't even believe uh, that he was listening to me. He's so, you know, he he, he is so beyond uh, knowing. He's just uh, so... uh, he's just so out there and you know sometimes you walk into some some churches and god seems so far away the churches themselves are beautiful and huge and big uh, with stained glass windows and stuff but god is so far far away but you know paul says in the book of Acts the, the to the Athenians. No, he is right near us. Even the unredeemed, even someone who's not saved, he's right there. And throughout the book of Job, one of the things that you do see is a man declaring a wrong perception of God. And, and many times trials and afflictions in our life <coughs> will have the effect of perverting, twisting our understanding of God in our. Suffering, we will develop all kinds of wrong views of God. And so that's why it's so important when you're suffering, your reaction, your response should be go to the Word of God. If you don't, you will develop a wrong view of who God really is. You'll be developing a man made theology of who God is. So important that you go to the Word of God, the more you suffer, the more you get into the Word, so you're not taken off uh, that place of of truth and who God really, really is. And so, you know, Job is just saying things here that are just flat out uh, not true uh, about the Lord. Uh, he's basically saying he's, he's, he's so f- unknowable, um, you know, I, I I can't even approach him. And then again in verse 16, he says that if I, I called and he answered me, I wouldn't even believe uh, that he was listening to my vo- voice. In the book of Acts, in chapter 12, Peter, Apostle Peter's in prison. He's being guarded by, I think there were 16 Roman guards guarding him. Uh, the angel of the Lord came in and uh, let him out of prison he, <clears throat> let him, he actually went through the streets of Jerusalem to a house where everyone was inside praying uh, for him he's pounding on the door and uh, finally someone comes to the door a young girl named Rhoda and uh, she, uh, she sees him and she's so overwhelmed that it's him she doesn't even open the door she runs back and tells the people uh, that are praying hey here do you remember that knock that was peter and what did they say to her no 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 it couldn't be so what do you mean How how could possibly that be the response they're all praying for his release and so and, and that is still true of us That so oftentimes you know we're, we're we're shocked that the lord is speaking uh, to us and uh uh, the good news, though, is that God does say if we have faith of a mustard seed, um, he He will move and act and, um, and answer our prayers. And verse 17 says, For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. And I talked about this last Sunday morning. The, here is the danger of discouragement, discouragement, if you're discouraged don't think you have some entitlement to be discouraged and to stay that way discouragement leads to bitterness the Bible says bitterness defiles many defiles you and everyone around you now of course there's mercy everyone gets discouraged it's a part of the Christian life it's Satan's number one tool discouragement but don't think it's okay just to indefinitely hold on to discouragement it'll turn to bitterness and so by this time Job is bitter Verse 19, it is, if it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And if of justice, who will appear, uh, who will appoint my day in court? Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. In other words, the best that I can ever, the most righteous and blameless I could ever be will, is so far below the standard of God's righteousness. Now here he's getting it right on the mark. Only he, instead of instead of that encouraging him, it's just making him more bitter in his soul. You know, the most encouraging thing in the world and one of the most healthy thing in the world is for you to understand that this very thing in verse 20, that the most righteous that you would ever, ever get in your whole life, you'd still have all the world being able to condemn you because your heart is wicked and evil. <laughs> this is what the Bible says. I'm not up here to insult you, but I am up here to declare the word of God. But that that's not supposed to have us wallowing uh, down in the dirt, unable to, uh, to, to move sort of where Job is. Uh, rather, that... Uh, is supposed to have the effect of humbling us and 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 making us praise the Lord all the more for what Jesus has done by giving us his righteousness. By giving us his righteousness. Verse 21 I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. It is all one thing. Therefore I say, He destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, He laughs at the plight of the innocent. Now here again, when you're suffering, please run to the word of God lest you get a wrong perception of God because that's what this is. He's saying in verse 23, if suddenly there's some huge calamity, God is up there sort of laughing at the plight of all the innocent people who have been wiped out. This is not a wrong view of God. As it's a danger of staying out of the word of God when you are suffering or when you are discouraged. Verse 24, The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? Verse 25, Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile, I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me uh, innocent. In other words, in verse 27, he's saying, you know, if I say, if I try to put off my complaint, and I try to put off my sad face and, and wear a smile... It will be impossible. I just won't be able to do it. The fear of my sufferings will will continue uh, to uh, just overcome me. In verse 29, if I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with uh, snow and water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me in other words again wrong perception of God you know uh, it's the wrong perception of God that no matter how good I am you're still going to uh, I'm still going to get punished for it I'm still going to wind up being in a wretched state and basically what he is saying here is that you know what's the point of even living a righteous life. He said, if I cleanse my hands, if I wash uh, myself with snow water, I'll still be uh, plunged into the pit. And, you know, I'm reminded of Psalm 73, that uh, psalm, that uh, famous psalm, where uh, the first half of the psalm, the psalmist is, is just declaring over and over, what's the point? What's the point of keeping my hands uh, clean? What's the point of living a pure life? What's the point of of serving God? And he's, this is the psalmist, he's looking at the wicked. They seem to be enjoying themselves. They're riding around in their yachts. They're in their palaces. They're laughing at their feasts. And, you know, here he is, miserable, uh, walking with the Lord. What's the point? It's a place where, where, where Satan uh, will often bring a believer in Christ. It's why it's so important that we understand the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we have no joy, we really need to uh, bear our soul before the Lord for him to pour himself uh, into uh, us. And, you know, here he is. He's saying, what has been the point? What has been the purpose of me living a a pure and clean life? Verse 32, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, speaking of the Lord, and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. A man longs for a mediator uh, between himself and God, and, and What a comfort that we have, that that we have one in Christ. Verse 34, let him take his rod away from me and do not let, let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. So he's convinced that there is no way to get to God, to plead his case. God's this far off God. You know, when I was... I grew up as a child uh, my 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 parents uh went to church they were not they went to really many different kinds of churches none of them uh, taught the Word of God as the Word of god and um i really didn 't hear the gospel until I was sixteen or seventeen and when I did finally get saved when I was twenty four Everyone was talking about Jesus, and I was not used to that. I grew up, you know, you talked about God a lot, but you didn't talk about Jesus. And it really took quite a while for me to to get used to that, uh, talking about uh, Jesus. Well, this is a similar sort of... uh, you know concept that you know job for him god is so far off why because he doesn't know god the personal god the son of god and that's how so many people are living even in churches god is this far off god they know him as father god but they don't know jesus the, the son of God who calls them friend. They don't know anything about that. They don't know about a relationship. He's far off, and Job is convinced there's no way he's ever going to get to him to plead his case. So what a tragedy it is to go through life with this far-off or conception of a far-off God. So we come to chapter 10. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. You made me, God. Why are you oppressing me in this way, he's saying. Verse 3, does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hand and Smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as the man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man that you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know that I am not wicked and there is no one who can deliver from your hands. Your hands have made me fashioned me. An intricate unity yet you would destroy me remember i pray that you have made me like clay and will you turn me into dust again and so here here actually you do have a person who is at least willing to contend with god and, and and it is so important that you understand that when you get into a place where you don't understand anything, it's it's not good to keep it all pent up if you have to cry out to God and ask, why, why, Lord? Verse 2, he says, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. God, why are you doing this? That, in a sense, that's a very sort of healthy that you see at least in these verses with his relationship with God. He's just saying, why are you doing this? You made me. Why do you turn around after making me only to crush me? I remember reading the biography of Spurgeon and Spurgeon is really amazing that I think the last... He he died when he was 54, something like the last 20 years of his life. He was only in the pulpit about two-thirds of the year because he had many ailments. He had, um, they think he had gout. He had a tremendous amount of pain. And actually part of this, his biography uh, reflects, a, uh, describes a prayer that he made to God where it sounded actually just like this. He goes... He was just saying to God, God, I would never do this to my child. I would never sit by and watch my child suffer the way that I'm suffering. How could you do that to me, Lord? And it just describes this this prayer, uh, crying out to God. And it, it does say in his biography from the, that point out, he never suffered the level of pain again. God does want us to open up our hearts to him open up our complaints to him he doesn't want to he doesn't want us you know hiding out in a cave he wants to hear from us he wants um, a relationship Um, he wants a relationship uh, with us and so then it says in verse eight your hands um, then it says and actually in verse nine We read this already, but let's read it again. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay, and will you turn me into dust again? You know, Psalm 103 says that God has compassion on us because he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. Verse 13 and 14 of Psalm 103, As a father pities his children... So the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And you know, I think we have a problem sometimes of not rem- we don't remember that we're dust, or we forget that God knows that we are dust. And we think that we fall into some sin, or we stumble and fall, or we uh, go out and do some incredibly stupid thing and we totally mess up our walk with the lord and and we're thinking to ourselves, god must be you know god must be shocked god must be shocked that i did this no he's not shocked he knows your dust he knows your frame he's the last person in the entire universe who's shocked and neither should you be shocked you're dust you're made out of dust (laughs) you're uh, and and uh, here Uh, Job, just recognizing that. Remember me, I pray, that you have made me like clay. Verse 10. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. And these things you have hidden in your heart, I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. Verse 16, if my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. Remember, he's speaking to God here. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your indignation towards me. Changes in war are ever with me. My life, it's like living in the midst of a war. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had uh, had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone that I may have a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return to the land of the darkness, the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order where even the light is darkness. And that, by the way, is a pre-Christ, pre-New Testament wrong conception of life after death, that Sheol the place of the dead, it's just a place of disorder and chaos and uh, and darkness that's not the case for a man who is righteous as we see in um, the New Testament where Jesus, speaking of Abraham's bosom, of those who uh, went uh, uh, died prior to Jesus, uh, to to Jesus being resurrected it actually is a very comforting place a place where uh, you're with the people of God uh, but um, here you have Job and I mean he's he's hurting bad I cannot verse 15 I cannot lift up my head I am full of disgrace see my misery so here you see that though we heard in the first chapter of the book of Job that there's none like him. There's none like him on earth. That's God's speaking. <laughs> that Job, there's none like him in the entire earth, one who fears God, who fears me. So he's a man of God, but he's a man. And even the best, even the the man of God that walks close, closest, even closest more than anyone else uh, on the face the uh, face of the world, this is what he's capable of. He's capable of utter, total bitterness. That is how far that we have fallen because of our sin. But the best we can ever, ever be is so far from the righteousness of God. How we need Jesus, how we need the blood of Christ, how we need the cross. So as if things could not get worse, chapter 11, in comes Zophar the Namathite. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, should not the multitude of your words be answered and should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace and when you mock, should no one rebuke you? So it is believed that he is probably the youngest one because uh, sort of typical of the day, the older men would have been given the respect of talking first. And so it's believed he's the youngest and as so often is the case, those who are youngest um, are most many times long on advice meaning they have plenty of advice to give and they're really short on mercy. You know, I remember being younger in the Lord and 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 just being so full of myself, just thinking that, you know, it was a good thing to, to go up to people and just set them straight. And I'd look at people who were older in the faith and... I'd oftentimes think, oh, oh, they're just compromising themselves by not being harder on people. And as I grew older in the Lord and the Lord and His mercy knocked me down over and over and over again, I began to realize the importance of mercy. And you learn as you grow older that, you know, everything doesn't work out as neatly as we think it does. and. Um, And we're not as wise as we think we are. And so here, Job has to put up with this young whippersnapper who just comes in really hard. Well, you know, maybe these guys weren't hard enough, uh, so I'm going to really lay it on him. And and so he says, you know, verse 3, should your empty talk make men hold their peace, meaning... Should a man be silent listening to all this babble? Verse 4, for you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. Of course, this man is uh, Zophar, speaking without knowledge as well. God had spoken about Job. He spoke about Job in chapter 1 and said, there is none like him in all the earth. But this guy's not listening to the Lord. He's listening to his own heart. It says in verse 6 that he would show you the secrets of wisdom for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you. In other words, God's paying you back, Job. That's what's going less than iniquity deserves. In other words, you should be getting double of uh, what you have received. So what kind of counsel is that? Verse 6, again, it says, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. God's being light on you. Job, you are all these things you're saying to God, and he should be punishing you way worse uh, than what you've already been punished i mean can you imagine that as as counsel having lost his whole family all his possessions uh that's the kind of counsel he's getting verse 7 can you search out the deep things of god can you find out the limits of the almighty they are higher than heaven what can you do deeper than sheol what can you know their measures longer than the earth and broader than the sea if he passes by, in prisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then con- uh, consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. So uh, this is uh, a really, really nice thing he's saying here. It's a flat-out insult in verse 12. And for an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. It says, he's basically saying to Job, the chance of you saying something wise or the chances that a donkey will bear a human child. Wow. So uh, anyway, verse 13, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hand toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would... L- would not let your wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away. In other words, if you would just stretch out your hand towards him, confess this sin that you haven't told us about, God would take away your misery and you would remember it no more. Verse 17, in your life, would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like morning and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape and their hope loss of life. And so... As we said last week, you know, many, many Christians that um, I meet, they talk a lot about God, but they don't talk to God. If these men had bothered to talk to God about Job, they wouldn't be counseling him in the way that they're counseling him. And how important it is uh, when someone is in suffering again so important that we're loving them so important that we look at this guy so far and we look at that guy bill dad and we see ourselves in the way in the insensitivity that so often we are insensitive with people in their suffering and and we have fallen so short of the mark of how jesus has responded to us in the very same situation and 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 you know we need to Uh, first of all pray when someone is in a place of suffering we need to not do so much talking about God well God is infinite and he's wise and what you're going through is you know perfect and is whatever that's not so oftentimes. that's just going to make things worse in someone's life what they need is your your prayer just praying for them or just listening uh, and uh, loving And, and um, so these guys, you never see any evidence whatsoever that they had gone to God uh, and asked him for counsel. You do see Job talking to God frequently. You never see these guys talking with the Lord. How important it is before we start meeting out counsel to people to first pray about it, to first pray about it because what may look like the right thing to do what may look like the right thing to do is often, or the right thing to say is often the wrong thing to say. I so appreciate the life of David where as we made our way through the life of David uh, you would always see him going to the Lord. Remember that one time with the Philistines there was he defeated the Philistines and then the Philistines came right back and um started attacking him uh, again and and uh, you know so oftentimes our reaction will be, well, I, you know, we have the wisdom, obviously we need to attack them again, but what did David do? He prayed to God anyway, and God said, What? no, <laughs> don't attack him didn't make any sense at all and and we need to do that we need to do that very thing when it whenever it comes to whether it's a value a situation what we need to do with it but more than anything else what we say to people and i've shared this before so often times in counseling i'm during the counseling just crying out to the lord lord what am i supposed to say here because our wisdom our, uh, our wisdom our words are just bounce off the wall they're meaningless they're fruitless unless they have the holy spirit behind them unless it's really it's the counsel of god And so, um, Job, in this incredible trial, and, you know, you wonder when, when you're in these trials, why is God allowing this? Why is this going on? Why is he not breaking in? Does he really understand? You know, one of the wonderful things about our Lord is that he does understand. He was born in poverty. He was born uh, into an oppressed minority. He was persecuted and treated just terribly beyond belief when he had literally done nothing wrong. He does understand. His timing, though, we cannot always truly understand as we saying this evening it's why it's it's so valuable to sometimes literally tell ourselves tell our soul wait on the Lord oh my soul look soul wait (laughs) you know uh, wait just talk to yourself wait Uh, and um, because God God has a plan he his timing is perfect and you know do you think that Job is in heaven today thinking back at this trial that he was in and thinking to himself, you know, what a bummer that was. I wish that never happened. You think he's saying that? No, he's ministered to people throughout history. (laughs) The Bible says light is the affliction that we're in compared to the eternal weight of glory. And so oftentimes, that eternal weight of glory that we'll have in eternity will be because we waited on the Lord. Rather than run or, you know, ran off doing our own thing, trying to get out of the trial, try to weasel our way out of it, we waited on the Lord. Light is the affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. And so, we'll pick up in chapter 12. Next week. Okay. Uh,